Welcome to Huddle Home Office, I'm Mark Legere. For years, I've enjoyed sitting on the beach and watching sandpipers skip along the shore. What I didn't know is they were likely females roaming their territory looking for food, while the males were likely back in their nests, incubating the eggs and caring for the young. I learned this and many other things from my conversation with Rhiannon Davies and Kathy Bennett, my guests on the podcast this week. Rhiannon and Kathy are two of the founders of Sandpiper Ventures, which provides investment capital and mentorship for companies led by women. It was named Sandpiper because the migratory bird is known for taking the lead in establishing and defending its territory, and because Sandpiper wants to help women entrepreneurs soar with their growing businesses. Rhiannon has been a leading executive and board member with large companies in North and South America, Asia, and Europe, and was part of a board of directors that took a $5.5 billion retailer public on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. She also spent a year on a sailboat, crossing the Atlantic Ocean with her family before settling down in Halifax. Kathy has 30 years of experience in business in Newfoundland and once owned companies in food service, industrial manufacturing, and real estate. She was also a provincial MLA for five years and served as the Minister of Finance and Status of Women when Dwight Ball was Premier. We spent the first part of the conversation talking about their entrepreneurial backgrounds and then dug into the work of Sandpiper and funding and mentoring women leading startups in Atlantic Canada. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rhiannon and Kathy. Good morning, Rhiannon. Good morning, Kathy. Morning. Good morning. So, so where do I find you both here today? Rhiannon, let's start with you. I am in freezing cold Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia at the moment. It's a fierce wind, isn't it? I think it's right across the uh, Maritimes. I'm not sure, Kathy, if it's also in the, the winds fierce in Newfoundland today. No, it's ever sunny in St. John's, Newfoundland. <laughs> we just tell people it's not, so we keep uh, people outside, and that's so. Uh, we, we, the weather's fantastic here. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, no, no, no fog in St. John's. Never any cold. Yeah, it's it sunshines all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, before we kind of uh, get into uh, our conversation about Sandpiper, I'd like to just to get a sense of your own kind of personal entrepreneurial journeys. And, uh, you know, let's start with you, Rhiannon. And I know uh, your journey uh, involves a transatlantic voyage on a sailboat. So we're going to want to get to that for sure. Um, but so are you where are you? So you're in Halifax right now. Uh, are, are you working from home uh, with your kind of family around? What's your home situation? I am working at home with my family around, although we are fortunate um, that uh, the schools are open. So uh, our, my kids who are now 12 and 14 are now, in, uh, are now in school and my husband and I are in our home offices. And from time to time, I do go into uh, to Volta Labs and, and work in the office there if I need a change of scene. But um, most of the time, I'm, I'm sitting here and spending a significant amount of time uh, on screen with, uh, with Kathy Bennett and Sarah Young. <laughs> And you, uh, and and I guess that uh, you got through the period where you were uh, home with your kids during when schools were shut down. You're, you're you you got through that okay? Yeah, it was not always easy, but I and I, and I'll get to it later when I we did spend a year together on a on a on a sailboat, um, and that helped us um, to work effectively in small spaces as a unit. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely prepared you for the pandemic, I'm indeed, sure. Indeed. <laughs> Um, so, well, tell me a little bit about your kind of your entrepreneurial journey, your path to now. Yeah, sure. I I, I grew up in um, in rural New Brunswick in Keswick Ridge, just outside of uh, Fredericton, 
And through sort of a university in Montreal and uh, and the first few years of my career in Toronto, um, I had the opportunity in 2000 to travel uh, for an 18-month secondment to the Netherlands um, and ended up spending the majority of my career there and, and 20 years later um, left. Um, and, and my background is I, I'm an engineer um, and I the initial years of my career were focused on manufacturing, supply chain, logistics, in food, specialized nutrition, and in um, in medical devices um, for for feeding purposes, um, and the that company was um, acquired. Um, it was about a three billion euro revenue company, one of the fastest growing food companies in the world, and it was uh, it was acquired by Group Danone. Um, and I stayed on for two years there, and uh, and realized that um, Danone was a great company, but um, but it was a rather a large company, and I preferred to be in a company that had was a bit more nimble, um, and wanted to be in a in a high growth, high change uh, situation again because I, I found that I really thrived in that situation. So I, I was headhunted at that time for a um, by a, a PE backed company called Grand Vision, which was uh, owned by the the Holland America Line Investment um, Fund, um, and they had acquired a number of optical and eye care um, organizations um, in 25 markets, and were looking for a small team to to build a company and a backbone around that. Um, so they they brought us in. I was the COO of that uh, of that company. And we we ran it a bit like the Wild West. It was a very entrepreneurial, very, uh, we created a company and I created a, a global subsidiary that was a two billion revenue company from scratch inside that company as well. Um, and we grew it uh, another 40% in system-wide sales. We moved into an additional 20 markets. Um, we acquired some really interesting medical technologies for, for eye care measurement and uh, and eye care um, uh, tools. And uh, then we ultimately took it public on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange in 2015. And I stayed on in, in that role um, to stabilize for two years until 2017. And then uh, I realized again that uh, I was looking for yeah, the excitement and, 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 and the change and the growth that uh, that again, a public company wasn't able to, to offer to me. Uh, so we, with my, my family, decided, all right, um, it's time to head back to Canada. I wanted my children to see that part of their, uh, their background. Uh, they, they'd been spent their, their early years uh, in, in Dutch schools, and I wanted to, to give them another opportunity. So we hopped on a sailboat um, after much planning, of course, and spent a year traveling together to um, Halifax, and pulled up on the Northwest Arm right across from what has become our uh, our home here. Now, I know we could obviously spend a whole podcast because I know we all have questions about your journey by sailboat and uh, and and um, what that was like. But just to get you to briefly describe it. So what, what were some of the things that you you learned about yourself on that journey and about your family? Like, did you did, did it partly inspire the kind of direction that you know your career ended up taking. Did you get some insights there? Uh, cooped up on a sailboat for that long? I I had an incredible. It, it that was it was actually a, such an incredible time for 
learning about myself and learning about my my family. And I've, I've always been quite a reflective person, but being in a situation like that, you're really forced to be quite reflective. I think in a, in a similar way to, to how we have all been in this current situation. Um, but I, I learned, I, I had a very, very difficult time initially because I was used to be, I, I was used to running large organizations with many, many moving parts and, and, a, and a lot of sort of multicultural interactions. And suddenly my, my world was, was tiny. Um, so that took a great deal of adjustment. Um, but it was very healthy for me to go through that. I think the biggest thing I learned in addition to sort of the, the incredible importance of family and family intimacy was the burden that we place and, and, the, and the importance of education because I, I, I homeschooled my kids for a year. And let me tell you, that is challenging. It's beautiful and it's so rewarding, but it's incredibly challenging um, to maintain motivation, to, to maintain a positivism, to be to, to acquire a balance between how critical you can be and how, um, how hard you can push. So I, I walked away with an, a totally new respect and understanding, which I, I've, I've always had a healthy one for, uh, for educators. Um, and we visited a number of, of countries as well. And, and I, I made a, a very deep commitment to myself on that journey that um, I needed to take more responsibility to make sure that every person um, was able to be as successful as they possibly could be. Um, and, and that is a lot of where Sandpiper and my involvement in Sandpiper has come from is just that feeling that we need to do everything in our power if we are in a fortunate, fortunate situation to help others to, uh, to be successful. And San, with Sandpiper, we've, we've chosen to focus with a, with a gender lens and, uh, and on innovation because that's the space that we've come from. Um, but it's, it's, I, I felt and I learned through that process that um, I have a responsibility and I'm very, very eager to fulfill that responsibility here in Atlantic Canada with, uh, with Sandpiper. Great. Uh, one more question for you before I, sure. I turn to, to Kathy. Um, so you, an engineering degree, you grew up in, in rural New Brunswick. Uh, what started you on an entrepreneurial path? Did you grow up around business or did it, was it a passion that kicked in after university and you got out of the workforce? It was a, it was a passion that kicked in after university. My, my father was a, was an engineering professor at, uh, at UNB and my mother is a, is a, uh, is an environmentalist. Um, so it's, it's certainly not, um, in my in my immediate family in their blood um but i have in in my extended family a number of um great entrepreneurs particularly in the uh, in the real estate uh, um space um but i th i think for me i started my career as a as a consultant and i saw the innards of of many many companies um and it was a, it was a great education to understand mechanisms that drove success in some countries, mechanism country companies, mechanisms that drive success in, in certain industries, and how you could translate those patterns into a number of, of other uh, organizations. So I, I, I learned an incredible amount. And I also learned from that process um, that I was a builder and that I that I loved to 
take on a challenging problem and turn it into a, a success story. And, and that's where my appetite for, uh, for that kind of growth came from. Kathy, tell us uh, about your path, about your journey. Um, well, I mean, I, I've um, been an entrepreneur in Newfoundland and Labrador for most of my life. Uh, some would say that my first business opened when I was five, um, but we'll leave that to another podcast about my <laughs> uh, illicit selling of reusable, reused um, uh, comic books to raise money to be able to go to the local pool. Um, but we, you know, I, I worked for um, a very large uh, global company, McDonald's Restaurants, uh, was a supervisor here for um, a dozen or so restaurants, and ultimately had the t- chance to become a minority partner in a joint venture partnership that bought uh, the market that I had worked in for dozens of years. And um, we grew the company, bought out our uh, joint venture partner, and then um, added um, a, a group of other companies, everything from industrial construction, uh, uh, commercial construction. We had uh, prop, uh, real estate property holdings. We had an in, in, a um, international recruitment company, a day spa, um, because I was always wanting to, to do something more to grow uh, and to grow opportunities for people in particular. Um, so, you know, in the last year, my husband and I, uh, last two years actually, have exited our own uh, um, group of companies and felt that it was time now for me to, you know, kind of do something in my retirement life. <laughs> and uh, my choice is to go back and do what I do really well, which is work with young people, um, young founders, energetic entrepreneurs who want to grow their businesses in the same way I was able to grow mine. And um, that's, you know, really one of the reasons why Sandpiper is so attractive to me because it it's about, you know, supporting that next generation of entrepreneurs in the region, in, in Atlantic Canada. And uh, we're such a small region that we have to figure out ways of networking amongst ourselves in a, in a very big geographical area with a very small population. And how do we learn from each other and, and take our entrepreneurial lessons and wounds and successes into, um, you know, mentoring and sponsorship and coaching opportunities with uh, with new entrepreneurs. Um, so I think the journey for me, I'm very focused on operations. I like to get down in the weeds of operations in, in companies. And, um, you know, I think I had been a minority partner, a majority partner, a sole proprietor. Um, I've... Um, you know, done a lot of things from a partnership perspective. So I'm able to understand, um, you know, different sides of the, the table when uh, companies are being led by um, different shareholders and, you know, maybe shareholders that are not always aligned with the founder um, and how to come up with, you know, uh, reconcilable um, decisions that everybody can support and move forward with. And, and all that from a start in as a comic book vendor at age five. Well, you know, you have to start somewhere. So, <laughs> uh, Kathy, too, I also just wanted to get you to talk a little bit, too, because you also had uh, um, a side hustle, can I call it, in politics for a while? Uh, some, might, some might like to call it that. Uh, yes, I, <laughs> I spent uh, five years in um, uh, public, what I like to refer to as public service. Um, and it was really important for me, you know, the, the customers that um, and the employees in particular who had been part of our success, um, you know, we would not have had the success we had in business without those customers and certainly without the employees. And I was always of the, the belief that if I took care of my employees, they'd take care of the customers and then the customers would take care of us, uh, which was very much the case. 
so for me, uh, public service uh, through politics was a vehicle for me to be able to give back in an even bigger way than I had. And while it was easy to find wonderful um, not-for-profit and community organizations to support, you know, advocating from a public policy perspective and giving your voice uh, to those that um, often are marginalized and, and don't have their voices heard at the, at the decisions of power, at the tables of power, to me was really important. And uh, so I think I hold, somebody said I hold the record for having been the finance minister and the um, status of women minister simultaneously, and a rare, a rare combination of ministries to hold um, in the context of Canadian uh, provinces. So. But I guess, uh, given your your background and and your passions, uh, marrying the, the status of women file with the finance ministry must have been fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think you know one of the things that I I learned early on in my own business, and I think was reiterated for me in the experiences I had when I attended you know the United Nations uh, discussions around you know women and women entrepreneurs globally, and had had privileges to sit at other tables where status of women ministers from all from provinces or other countries we're having conversations is that, you know, finance and capital uh, access, we call it access to capital. I would um, suggest that, you know, capital power is a more apt um, definition of it is that capital power and where it gets deployed really has an impact on our economy. And if we, you know, the simple reality is if we only activate 50% of the um, entrepreneurial um, firepower that we have in the region or in the country, and we only activate 50% of the capital that we can, um, then we're leaving out a whole lot of opportunity uh, for, you know, for our country. And more, more importantly for me, uh, I'm pretty passionate about Atlantic Canada and very selfishly about Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, you can't, you have to activate the entire population. And uh, Sandpiper really gives us a way to make sure that, um, you know, women have uh, an opportunity to have their ideas um, as an entrepreneur manifest themselves into great, growing, strong businesses, but also allows us to activate uh, female investors who would not necessarily have the opportunity to make investments like they can with Sandpiper uh, because they haven't learned or had the experience to do it. And this is a, a really good way to have a, um, you know, activate both sides of that uh, in important, um, important pieces of the ecosystem. Yeah, so shifting that conversation to to Sandpiper, um, uh, Rhiannon, I'm curious to know about the origin story for Sandpiper. Um, so there's 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 nine of you that came together. Uh, how, tell me a little bit about how how that started. How how did you all come together? I think we we all came from various backgrounds, and and I will say one of the things that I adore among many things about Sandpiper is that um, our founding partners represent um, all four Atlantic provinces. And, and to Kathy's point, that is so important for us because we believe very strongly that in order to help companies in the region be successful, we need to act as a region and we need to draw on the support mechanisms that we have as a region and, uh, and that will enable us to access um, the rest of the country and, uh, and, and global uh, markets um, as well. Um, but, we indeed came together as 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 nine people who had, through a variety of of entrepreneurial roots, all come to the conclusion that there was something broken in the innovation driven economy. And I can sort of talk a bit from my personal perspective, but growing up in um, 
manufacturing supply chain, then moving into medical technologies and uh, and, and a more commercially focusing focused role, um, I saw improvements in um, diversity and inclusion um, throughout the course of my career. And and we still have huge steps to make in uh, in in all industries, but at least I saw that we were starting to go in the right direction and we're starting to monitor and uh, and, uh, and and bring um, women and other underrepresented uh, uh, people into uh, into positions of 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 influence. But then looking at the innovation driven economy, which is is creating sort of the, the future technologies in uh, in service, in healthcare, in 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 every industry and realizing that women weren't participating was was rather shocking to to all of us. And we noticed it primarily in the Creative Destruction Lab uh, experience here. That's where we essentially came together and we looked around the room and we realized that there were very few women. And the women founders that were presenting were, were treated in a, in a different way. And so we scratched the surface and we looked at the statistics and found indeed that our Atlantic Canadian world um, was actually a, a microcosm for what was going on in the rest of the country in the rest of North America, and in fact, in in uh, in, in much of the, the world, that women are getting 3% of, uh, of venture capital dollars, that women control only 15% of venture capital dollars. And what this results in is indeed, to Kathy's point, that women's ideas and women's innovations aren't being supported. So 51% of the population is not being served by what we're creating, but yet, women's wealth is increasing and women are controlling 80% of healthcare spend and 85% of consumer spend. So we're being completely unfair and unbalanced in the way that we're supporting this, but we're also missing out on a huge untapped opportunity to support women's innovation and be sure that we're creating innovations that are actually going to serve the needs of the entire population and not just a limited portion. So I think we all came to that conclusion and sort of said, okay, wait a minute, what can we do as, as, as nine founders? Um, and we did an enormous amount of research um, and, and we've been looking at it for, for about um, almost two years now. Um, we did a lot of research into where could we have, the greatest impact from our positions. And, and I'll give you a, a bit of background on our positions. Um, our founding partners, um, in addition to Kathy, Sarah Young, who is, uh, who is also the managing director of, of um, National in, uh, here in Halifax, um, we have six founders. Shira Tapman is one of them. She is the CEO of Ardea Outcomes, a very strong entrepreneur in the, in the healthcare and digital uh, healthcare space. Karen Hutt, who is the um, executive Vi vice president of strategy and business development in Miara, with a very strong uh, interest in uh, in sustainable energy. Nicole LeBlanc, who is one of the leading investors from New Brunswick in uh, in Canada in uh, in the innovation driven economy, and is, has just been named from her home in uh, in St. George, New Brunswick, um, as managing director of uh, of a uh, a large fund of over a hundred million dollars in um, in Denmark. Shannon McDonald from PEI, who is the managing director of Accenture Canada and the lead of the healthcare uh, um, practice in, uh, in Accenture. Amy Reesley, who is the CEO of, uh, of uh, skincare company uh, uh, Skinfix. And Osga Yeloglu, who is the VP of Enterprise Analytics and a, and a real um, 
artificial intelligence and machine learning expert um, at, uh, at CIBC. So that group of women came together and said, how can we use our experience and our unique backgrounds to influence change um, and take advantage of this opportunity in the innovation-driven economy? And we did a lot of research, as I said, and the conclusion we came to was twofold. One is that we need to have access to capital so that we can deploy that capital in ways that will support directly the growth and development of companies that are women-led in Atlantic Canada. So that was very important because Kathy referred to it, access to capital is key. So that was our primary goal. So that's where we've created Sandpiper Ventures, which is the inaugural fund of, uh, of the Atlantic Women's Venture Foundation. That's a $20 million fund, and uh, we will deploy the capital from that fund over the coming few years to invest in companies with groundbreaking technology, global scale potential in Atlantic Canada. But we also realized that we needed to provide an additional support network um, to uh, to augment that. And that's um, in the form now of the Atlantic Women's Venture Foundation, which is a federal nonprofit. Um, and that organization focuses on really creating um, intersectional access points for women investors and women entrepreneurs. So we execute training to ensure that more women can enter the asset class, that understand the asset class, that understand more about, um, about venture investing, but also potentially can move into angel investing because we, we also have a, have a gap um, of, of angel investors in the region. So we have a, an education component. We've already educated 60 women um, from across all four provinces in how to enter the uh, the asset class and uh, and 15 of them have actually invested in the in the fund so far so so they really are active and they're mentoring companies and they're supporting and they're becoming really strong participants and valuable participants in the uh, in the ecosystem here um in addition to that the atlantic women's venture fund runs networking events and uh, and and uh, and support um for women and other underrepresented founders to provide them access and pathways to access to capital, access to mentorship, access to founding partners, and in and, and addition to that. So Sam Piper has, has evolved through a significant amount of research into where the pain points are to starting point as, as, as a fund and, uh, and, and the Atlantic Women's Venture Foundation support con infrastructure. The group, you know, it, you're all, you've been a very accomplished, uh, successful on entrepreneurs and um, Kathy, I'm thinking of something that Rhiannon had said about you know being treated differently uh, in that creative destruction lab in terms of the pitching process and the and 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 your work there. What what does that what does that look like? Um, how how are how are women treated differently in that this context? Well, I mean, I think there's a variety of ways. I mean, one very simple way is is when it comes to uh, questions around. Um, how a founder's company is going to perform. Um, and it can be uh, a venture-backable companies like the ones that Sam Piper Ventures Fund is focused on, or it can be a micro-company that, um, you know, is is opening up on, on Main Street, uh, you know, New Brunswick, uh, you know, who, you know, a young entrepreneur who's trying to open up a service business. The questions around funding often are asked of women uh, in the context of risk, whereas questions to men um, are often asked in the context of growth. 
So men typically are seen as the what you know we see men as successful uh, entrepreneurs. We we don't see women uh, as frequently in that category. Um, so the women are often asked more negative questions and negative problem questions as opposed to questions about growth and opportunity. Um, you know, so that's just one one area on finance. In other um, in other areas, we've we have uh, had founders have had questions around whether or not their operational skills in a particular industry are sufficient to grow their business. Now that doesn't you know that's that's a negative type of uh, stereotype in suggesting that a female who has um, agriculture experience um, is not going to be successful in growing uh, her business because she doesn't have business experience. Typically, men don't get those same questions. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, there's the really, you know, simple ones. And this is a, you know, real practical example. I mean, we had, um, I had a, a, you know, a leader of one of the regional accelerators um, who wasn't sure how to ask um, for leave, maternity leave, because she was afraid her job wouldn't be there when she came back. And I mean, that, you know, I remember back in the 90s, um, you know, somebody suggested to me that I wasn't going to be, you know, you know, eligible for a promotion because I might go and have a baby. I thought we were long past that type of questions. But those still happen. And I think, um, you know, what we're hoping to do with Sandpiper um, is to help empower these young. Um, and when I say young, it doesn't necessarily need I'm not talking about age. It could be young in that entrepreneurship is just something that you're starting to get into. So you've got, you know, a, a youthful, a youthful um, opportunity to kind of come at it, regardless of what your actual age is. Um, you know, Sandpiper can do, I believe, is we've got seasoned female executives who've been there, done that, and who can actually provide some real good sage advice when those negative questions uh, uh, typically come at um, come at our women founders or come at the, um, the the executive teams that they put around them. The question for for both of you, but what what um, you know, you, you you've achieved a lot to date in your own on your own entrepreneurial journey, entrepreneurial journeys. Uh, what what challenges have you faced? And and uh, and this probably be true of of all of your founders, I suspect. Um, what challenges have you faced and how, how have you overcome them personally? Well, I mean, I think that the, the challenges um, are always about, um, you know, do you have access to the capital? Do you have access to the networks? Do you have access to, um, you know, the golf course? I mean, there's, I mean, it can be that, it can be that simple in the context that, you know, we know that, you know, deals and, deal flow and relationships can happen in a very siloed way. Um, you know, I remember hearing one, um, you know, being in a, at a, an event at um, the Rot uh, Rotman School of Business where deals were being done in the bathrooms. Um, you know, there was 50 executives there. And so if you were a woman in the woman's bathroom and you're a man in the man's bathroom, you had more access to the, to, to the bigger deals because they were chatted about in the washroom. Mm -hmm. So I mean, part of, um, I think the, the, the commonality that we have right, and the variety of experiences that we've had, um, it allows us to kind of, you know, always come up with a story that one of us has had an impact on and, and share that with founders. But the other thing I would say is, you know, Rhiannon uh, mentioned there are other six um, kind of founders of Sandpiper as well as the Atlantic Women's Venture Foundation. And, um, you know, we've got, you know, executive leadership and executive sponsorship on diversity inclusion amongst uh, you know the, those executives that are supporting us, 
and you know both Karen and Shannon, for example, um, have led substantive organizational change inside their own organizations um, around diversity. Um, so there's a huge understanding of what are the cultural things that need to change to allow um, a workplace to be productively successful, um, but also uh, you know to make space and hold space and amplify voices um, that typically aren't heard at um, at decision making tables or tables of powers or at the bathroom stalls. The name Sandpiper. Tell me where that came from. Yeah, sandpipers are, are really interesting birds, and, and many people don't know about it. Our, our original sort of um, attraction to sandpiper was around sort of taking flight and, and, and taking off. So there's some wonderful symbolism around sandpiper that is really about growth and soaring and, uh, and achieving great heights. Um, sandpipers are actually, if, if, you've, if you've walked along the shores of New Brunswick uh, um, when they're there, are, are, are very communicative and collaborative and, and, and team-oriented um, um, creatures as well. So sandpipers are, we love this sort of idea of, uh, of, of teamwork um, as, uh, as, as they did take flight. But the, the thing that cinched the deal for us is that sandpipers... Um, are a matriarchal um, uh, creature uh, as, as well, in, in that the um, the women of uh, of the sandpiper species are are out in the world creating and growing and being entrepreneurs, um, and the males are are sitting at home on the nest. <laughs> So we thought that was a just a just a, a, an interesting uh, uniqueness um, that uh, that was the third uh, attraction to to the sandpiper uh, concept and idea. Well, and I, you know the whole the whole idea of of um, you know the female birds out hunting and pecking on the beach um, while um, while um, you know to get those opportunities and to seek those opportunities had a very um, meaningful, um, you know, visual for us as, as founders, but also equally for the investors, right? So we're doing a lot of work to make sure that, um, you know, investors in Atlanta, Canada, particularly women, have an opportunity to participate in this type style of investing. And, um, you know, it, it, while it applies the sandpiper, um, um, the image of the bird applies to the founders hunting for those opportunities. I think it also applies to those investors who are also looking a little bit more discreetly and, di and differently uh, in places that they might find um, uh, an opportunity and also encouraging the women to get uh, to get out there and look for those opportunities as well. Right. And, and uh, playing on that Sandpiper analogy um, through the data that, that you've shared, uh, the, in terms of value for money invested, return on investment, uh, women-led uh, companies compare quite favorably and, and and better than a lot of companies led by men, right? They, they really do. And it, it's quite remarkable because we, we started looking at this from, um, from the perspective of this is something we need to change as change makers. But one of the wonderful things when you're changing something is to recognize also that that change is going to be delivering an incredible opportunity for at, at so many different levels, um, an economic opportunity, a job creation opportunity, and an opportunity for wealth creation for the people that invest in it as well. And, uh, and there's been an incredible amount of research done um, about 
women founders and, and underrepresented founders in general, because this is not necessarily about women being better. It's about making sure that you have diversity in decision making and diversity of perspective around all of the tables as you create your business, because that is going to lead to <clears throat> better decision making and, and, and better innovation. But what those statistics are showing us is that women are significantly more effective in efficient use of capital. So the dollars that are invested in them are actually much more um, uh, efficiently used. Um, they're, um, the value creation from the moment of investment to the moment of, uh, of, of exit is, uh, is, is significantly higher. Um, they're faster to, to revenue generation and faster to growth. Um, and their exit success is, is better. So these are all metrics um, that we as investors are extremely enthusiastic about because we recognize that if our companies are delivering like this, then we can deliver back to our investors. And that becomes this virtual virtuous circle of, uh, of, of growth that is going to make this into a truly sustainable change-making um, uh, direction. Just to, just to give you a real practical uh, stat, um, you know, there's research that says women are able to produce 77 cents of revenue for every dollar invested, and men produce 31 cents of revenue for every dollar invested. So when you talk about efficient deployment of capital, I mean, that's a significant stat that as an investor you want to look at to see how much, how much traction uh, your investment dollar is getting. Um, that's one of the reasons why we need, you know, diversity at both the founder level and at the investor level is so that these types of performance um, metrics are discussed more broadly and understood more broadly. From your own, you know, research, but also your own personal experience in in business, Kathy, do you have an, ex an explanation for why there would be such a a big gap there? Is is there something about the way women organize and run companies that would produce such a gap? Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, um, a, a much more um, risk, capital risk uh, focus for female entrepreneurs who tend to uh, carry more burden uh, as opposed to paying themselves. First off, that's one thing. Um, so they put a, in a, a tremendous amount of um, personal equity and time, but not necessarily take out uh, you know, a lot of capital early on. Um, I think they're really efficient and good planners. Um, and I think there's... Um, a, um, a preciseness to the to-do the, uh, to lists. So the, you know, the to-do lists that have to get done, get done because just like the groceries got to show up, the, you know, the, the to-do list on the growing the, the business uh, has to come up. And I think from an organizational perspective, I mean, my, you know, I'm pretty passionate about the fact that, um, you know, for 35 years, I had the opportunity to grow my management skills. Um, I'd suggest that from a, a, a leadership perspective, women are, are significantly better managers because of the experience they've had at both personally and professionally, and that their attention to detail um, allows them to make decisions that are more uh, capital, capital frugal. I, on the opposite side of that, I think it's one of the reasons why um, you know, female-led companies need to be pushed uh, to global exports because typically um, that might sound very risky and you might want to not take that risk as a, as a female. So I think you know, hopefully what we can do is um, the founders of uh, Sandpiper is, and particularly myself and Rihanna and Sarah in our role as GPs, that we can push these uh, female-led companies to think bolder and braver. I mean, I'm excited to celebrate Rihanna's success in, in Europe 
with founders to inspire them that, yeah, you too, like Bumble, uh, can be a publicly traded company uh, and you can be birthed in Atlantic Canada, uh, just like Verifin, which just happened to be led by men. We need a, I want a Shirafin, you know, a Shiafin in mm. Atlantic Canada that's led by um, a female, but, but they need to be inspired to be able to do that. And they need to be able to see people like Rhiannon, women like Rhiannon who've done it before. So they're inspired to, to be even more adventurous and curious and inspired uh, to, to reach farther than they maybe they, maybe they would. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, a good point that that we as a as Sandpiper can be um, can be a sort of a see it and be it. Um, you you can see and you have in front of you and we're accessible um, women who have who have who have done this before. Um, I think I think just one last addition to to your question on on why that high performance is there, and I and I bring it back to Sandpiper as well is that women feel an incredible burden of proof to make sure that um, that we are proving that we can be successful. And I know certainly that um, I, I've seen many women entrepreneurs that are that are driven by this. Um, because the biases are there, we are going to fight so hard to overcome those biases and prove them wrong. And quite frankly, that comes to a great extent into, into Sandpiper as well. We are so determined to be wildly successful in what we do and to return incredible returns and to create fabulous companies in Atlantic Canada because we know how important it is that we are successful for sort of the next generations and, and to ensure that, that we build something truly sustainable. Now, I know that, that Sandpiper was just established uh, last year. Um, but tell me where things stand right now in terms of the size of the first fund, in terms of uh, the number of companies you're looking at investing in. Like, where do things stand right now? Yeah, we we have um, we have made our our first investment. It will be uh, it will be announced soon. Um, it's in a in a clean technology company, and we have raised uh, half of the fund. Um, we have a combination of um, provincial funders. Uh, the province of Nova Scotia has been has been announced. Um, we will be announcing other Atlantic provinces' uh, support in the uh, in the coming weeks. Um, we're we're really delighted to see the uh, the the provincial governments coming in and, and demonstrating the uh, that they recognize the the social and economic benefits of of what we're doing. We have uh, and will announce also soon that one of the national banks um, is uh, is bringing um, capital into the fund, which is very important from a capital perspective to enable us to deploy that capital. But it's also very important because that bank is eager to also come and bring other financial tools to support companies in Atlantic Canada, which is incredibly needed. So, uh, and and they're using Sandpiper as a as a vehicle for that, and they they're they're very interested in having access to our to our portfolio and our network. Um, and we also have over 25 private investors, and and we talked a bit about that. We have been a very low threshold fund because we want to ensure that there is an, a very high level of participation of women in. Uh, in the um, in the asset class, because we feel that the um, opportunity is great, and that the support that they can provide for companies is is, is great as well. So we have um, started investing. We're halfway through the raise, uh, still actively raising, actively working with uh, with companies. Uh, some we will invest in, some we will uh, we will not. But we are determined to make sure that every company 
in Atlantic Canada that is women-led has a pathway to go to for success, even if it's not uh, a capital investment um, from uh, from Sandpiper. Um, and we are um, yeah, fully operational as a, a as a team, and uh, and and looking forward to to the impact that uh, that we're bringing. Oh, and we're raising a twenty million dollar fund, so that's the 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 order of magnitude for the first fund. You know, the the pipeline of companies. Um, I remember about two years ago, uh, somebody said, "Well, if you're going to do this in Atlantic Canada, like, is there going to be really enough female founders?" Well, I have to say that the a number of companies that we have in our pipeline, and not all of them are going to be venture backable companies for the fund, but they'll definitely be able to get support uh, through the existing ecosystem and things that uh, the foundation wants to establish. Um, but the the pipeline is strong. I mean, it, and and hopefully Sandpiper will inspire even more women to become founders of companies that may not be venture backable, um, but that aspire to be have global exports. Has the pandemic presented challenges uh, and opportunities? How are things how are things different because of the way the last year has kind of rolled out? You know, I um, obviously the pandemic from a from a personal perspective with our families and you know healthcare workers and essential staff um, is has been a heavy weight for all of us to bear in the world. But for Sandpiper, I think it's been a blessing in that you know because we can meet virtually. And there's no, we're not allowed to travel. Our ability to connect uh, uh, is much higher, and we're able to move much faster with building a network in the region because of the technology. And I hope um, that that never goes away. I hope this is one of the things that, when we talk about build back better, I hope that you know dropping the geographical barriers that divide us in Atlantic Canada and Canada and in the world um, evaporates because we can you know quickly hop on a Zoom call um, or Teams call. And, uh, you know, have a have a, you know, 60 women from across Atlantic Canada having a conversation about what we want to do to support each other. So it's pretty inspiring to see that happen. Now, I know that access to capital is is difficult for all Atlantic Canadian companies. Um, and I'm sure that not being able to travel has 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 made it more difficult for companies to actually seek money elsewhere. Does this create more even more of a need and I'm, I'm thinking of course for in your in sandpiper's case uh in, you know accessing capital for for women-led companies um but it would strike me that this was it's even more important to have funds like this regionally now given that we don't really know when things are going to return to normal well I, and i think just like many many um uh, industries or sectors are seeing that you know the first recovery uh coming out of the pandemic isn't women, right? It isn't. It isn't women in retail. It isn't women in uh, smaller, uh, you know, SMEs. It isn't women in uh, early startups, because typically uh, that's not where um, the systems uh, kind of retrench to. There's a, a big retrenching coming out of uh, the pandemic. Uh, you know, the systems go to where they're used to going, and if they're used to going uh, to um, support, um, you know, I- investing in other places other than women, um, then we're going to continue to see a struggle. So for for Sandpaper, I don't think there was ever a better time for us to be um, kind of stepping up and, and filling a space. And I also think we're likely, you know, new funds like ours typically have um, a much higher success rate in the early um, stages of a recession because, um, 
because we're not retrenched. We're not protecting our existing portfolio. We're looking for those new opportunities. So hopefully we can manifest that into some pretty good returns uh, for uh, the investors that have um, you know, shown confidence in the, the nine of us, but also shown confidence even more importantly in those founders that are out there that need the capital. In terms of the mentoring you've done over the last year, because uh, obviously that's a huge component of this, uh, in addition to the capital fund, have you seen uh, women leading companies facing particular challenges because of the the pandemic, just in terms of their own personal responsibilities, in terms of how, what the challenges their businesses have faced? Yes. I, I mean, they, you do see the burden of care um, falling more and more on women and, and the support networks um, required. So I, I have seen a, a number and I can think of three very close examples that, of, of women that I'm working with that um, are struggling even more with juggling that balance than they than they ever did. Um, what I'm seeing though in 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 those three individuals is a is a stronger determination to overcome it, but that's not sustainable. Um, I, I I also believe that um, we have a, a it it's it's for me bringing home the need for for this additional support for this additional financing for this additional uh capital um because they are they are struggling and they're continuing but i think what we're going to risk particularly in in uh, in female founders is um is burnout and mental health challenges and and that may not manifest itself today um but it's going to come unless we uh, unless we su- start uh, um providing a better support network well, thanks very much. I, I really appreciate this uh, chat and appreciate your time very much. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to add that we haven't talked about before we close, uh, Kathy? Yeah, I mean, I just to go back to the, you know, why is it important that we have um, innovation coming from the perspective of women? Um, you know, when we think about things like women's health, um, you know, the, the, the care work that women have to do um, there's a whole uh, opportunity for innovations that that is not typically considered um, if you have a different perspective. Just like for me, I mean, I live in a in a place where um, you know I'm pr- proud to say I can see the ocean on just about every single day um, out my window. So I'm obviously going to be acutely aware to ocean potential industries. If you lived in the middle of um, a landlocked province like Alberta, you may not necessarily see that um, that same opportunity. And I think the same thing applies to gender. I think, you know, we um, uh, see founders creating innovations that are very unique to the needs of women consumers, but, but women consumers are consuming on behalf of families. They're consuming on behalf of children. They're consuming on behalf of seniors and themselves, particularly in healthcare. And I think that's one of the reasons why, if we want to make sure that um, the healthcare quality of healthcare is is there for everybody in our country, if the quality of education is there for everybody in our country, then we have to ensure that these ideas don't fall off um, the um, uh, you know the drawing room table, and that they get an opportunity to get some air and oxygen uh, through financing, and and hopefully uh, turn into products that uh, we'll buy as consumers or that companies will. Uh, we use to continue to to provide their uh, you know their widgets to the community. So, are, are you seeing uh, the women that you're working with? Are you seeing them coming forward these with these kinds of ideas that are new in particular? Oh, very much so, very much so. 
Um, you know, we've got some pretty innovative um, med tech companies that are are part of um, you know part of our portfolio company companies, and we also have some um, incredibly um, unique ideas that I think in in the I go back to the Creative Destruction Lab. You know, it's always interesting when you walk into one of the pitch rooms there, and there's you know could be up to fifty or sixty of us. Um, and you know, a, a female founder is presenting an, a, a product that resonates with the moms, or resonates with the daughters, or resonates with the women who need uh, certain particular healthcare services. And the nods of our heads are violently going up and down, while the rest of the room is kind of scratching their heads, saying, "Oh yeah, I never thought of that." Um, so yeah, we're definitely seeing uh, seeing some pretty innovative ideas. I guess it, on 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 my side, I would. Um... I would say, and it's a bit of a reiteration of what Kathy has said, that um, I, I want every female entrepreneur in Atlantic Canada and beyond, but um, to, to believe that this is possible. I mean, I have I have been through um, two acquisitions, most recently through a um, a global um, IPO, and we raised a billion dollars, and I never want to go through that again. It's a really hard process. But I would be so delighted to hold one of your hands through that process because I can make it incredibly, uh, significantly easier for you. Um, and that would be my dream for this. If, if we can build more and more companies that, that could get to that level and be the support infrastructure that they need because we've been there, um, to achieve those levels of success, I think as a as a region, um, as a, and as as women and as a society, we could we could be delighted. And I and I really hope that all of the women entrepreneurs out there believe that um, that that's possible and understand that um, that we're here to enable it. Well, thank you very much for your time. It, it was great speaking with you today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, Rhiannon and Kathy, for the great chat. You can subscribe to the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a friend. Talk to you next week.